This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome, everyone, to a brand new edition of Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana's number one sports station, 103.7 The Game. And 1037thegame.com. We're coming to you live, as always, from the 1037 The Game studios. Make sure you're listening in. And I appreciate you listening in because it is a Saturday morning. I know everybody's getting sick and tired of quarantining. Just like Field Mob was so sick of being lonely. And I have to wholeheartedly agree with that kind of statement. You don't have to finish your statement. I tell you like it is, baby. And I've got one heck of a show for you today, because I decided, you know, I've been thinking about this for a while, and full disclosure, this show is on tape. I've got a funeral to go to, it's a little graveside service. My grandfather passed away last Sunday, and originally I wasn't necessarily, like, all keen on it, and then it clicked in my head. I've got a great idea to fill two hours of programming that you desperately need to kind of fill that void, to give you a little bit of a brief respite from the world of no sports going on because I want to do something that I've been wanting to do for a while. And that is start to look at the NFL piece by piece. And this week we look at the NFC South. We look all around it because I managed to secure all four NFC South representatives. And I usually try and save who I have on the show today. But you know what? I've got time to kill, and I've got one heck of an idea and a proposal for you all. But I'm going to give you a reason to stay tuned. If you want to hear conversation about everything involving the the NFC South, this is the show. Consider it the NFC South Super Show edition of Under the Dome with CD. I'm going to try and probably do that more as we draw closer to the draft. Maybe next week at AFC North Preview. We'll talk about that. We'll keep the conversation going more in an NFL realm for the foreseeable future because obviously that's the only thing that's really going on. I might try and land some different guests. I've got ideas to kind of fill the time now. But this idea kind of popped in my head, and I said, let's get the NFC South people on the program. And here's the four that I've got. One of them you know, the other three I have not had on the program before. First off, Elena Getzenberger, part of the Charlotte Observer. She's a beat writer for the Panthers in the heart of Flair Country. She'll be joining the program in about 10 minutes. And then we have D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You might know that name. It's definitely familiar for those who have listened to Katie in a sports station. But it's his first time joining the program, so I'm looking forward to talking to him about those Atlanta Falcons and a lot of the moves they've made in free agency and what they what their chances are of making the playoffs with this expanded playoff starting this year where you have that additional team in there. It's going to be interesting. And then at 11.15, we're going to have Taylor Jenkins on. This will be an hour number two of two. Taylor Jenkins, Tampa Bay Times, joining the show. We'll talk about the Bucks. We'll obviously talk about Tom Brady and everything that he has definitely kind of changed the landscape 
of the NFC South just by joining in. And then we'll talk to Ross Jackson. We talked to him heading into free agency. We'll have him back on to kind of recap what's going on with free agency. How do, I want to be being able to tape with him earlier in the week. So this is before the Dixie Brewing stuff started popping up and the Mardi Gras Superdome cancellation, potential cancellation of that or moving the schedule around to fit this. It's going to be an interesting next couple of years for the Mercedes-Benz Superdome with all the changes and renovations they're making and what's going to happen next with this. But I brought up earlier, my grandpa passed away, and I was originally kind of like eh, about doing the show. Then I said, you know what? My grandfather would have wanted me to do the show because one of the things that he told me a lot, especially in the last few years before he passed away, was saying work a little bit more. Every time I'd go over to my grandparents' house, I'd go have lunch with them every now and again. And when I'd go, I'd go. I'd, I'd say, hey, do we talk for a while? And then, like, right when I'm leaving, I'm like, hey, I'm heading out. i got to go to work. They'd be like, and my grandpa would say, work a little bit more. And it's like, and I thought about it. And I said I was going to come back and do the show. I was like, hey, I'm going to do this show, knock it out. The service is about to be about to get started. It's a graveside service, obviously. And that's, like, the weirdest part of all this. I'm going to get to what I really wanted to get to in a little bit, but I feel like I've got a rant within a rant here is the way things are now in the time of COVID-19. Um, by the way, I want to write a book called I'm a love in the time of Rona, because I think that's going to be something a lot of people are going to be talking about. Like if you've ever read the book, love in the time of cholera, but funerals in the time of COVID-19 is very weird because again, you can't have large gatherings of 50 people. You can only have 10 people. And that's largely going to be your pallbearers. You have honorary pallbearers as well. But you're gonna have like a very minimum group. They're gonna have a little get little like everybody's gonna see the body before they bring it over to the to the to the gravesite, and then we're gonna have the graveside service. That's all we're gonna do because you can't have gatherings of more than ten people. I understand that, but it's just really weird to kind of think about the fact that you know you don't have like this gr- like big send off, and this isn't just you know like my family. But a lot of other people's families, not just like because of COVID nineteen, but a lot of other stuff. My grandfather, he was in his eighties, eighties, he was in his eighty late eighties, and he lived the full life. And all honestly, I mean, we talk about the average age of a male in America in twenty twenty. It's about seven, about seventy eight. So he definitely kind of moved up in the. He definitely had a long life, and he had a great life. I mean, he worked hard. He definitely was probably one of the hardest working men I knew, and I respected him. But I've also got like it's just it's just weird to not send him off the proper way, and I'm sure a lot of people who have had like relatives pass on just in the last like couple of weeks. Now that you've seen the limits on how many people can be there at these events, like I want to know what's going on in your mind. Like if you're not able to see, for instance, your grandfather, your father, your brother, your sister, whoever it is that passed on. In recent history, how that's affected you, you can hit me up on Twitter. Again, this show's previously taped. I don't have anybody running the phones. But you can hit me up on Twitter, at Klein Doming. Let me know how like this has affected you from that perspective. Obviously, if it's affected you in a monetary sense, hit me up too. Man. Like, I, I want to hear people's stories. Because I think that's what's going to help us kind of like get through this. It's talking about it. Talking about your feelings and what's going on during this time frame. I think that's definitely the biggest thing. I've taken away from all this. And a lot of it has to do, I've mentioned it before on the show, my mom's been in the hospital for about five weeks. Again, not due to COVID-19. Not just 
I'm going to bold underline this. Anything that I mention is not due to that. You can I, I got asked on Monday about this, and I'm like, I have no problem answering the question because I know it had nothing to do with COVID-19. Because if it did, then I would, I would know. Because my grandfather, who was in his 80s, was hospitalized. This is like February 27th. This is like literally just before kind of all this COVID-19 stuff kind of popped up. Right before everything kind of rolled, and I'm just enjoying like kind of seeing how this whole thing goes and enjoying life a little bit more because I know how fragile it can be. And this is something that everybody can take away from it is life's fragile. Tomorrow's not promised. Next thing you know, something like this happens. And it's definitely kind of put things in perspective. But I've got enough time to kind of step off that soapbox for a minute and get back to something really fun that I wanted to do. And that is, without a doubt, talk about something that... I'm still laughing about this. The fact that that the NFL is going to simulcast a game on Nickelodeon is an interesting prospect to begin with. And I've been throwing this idea around, and I want to hear your thoughts. Again, at Clendoming on Twitter, under the Dome CD, you can hit me up over there as well. And I just got to say, I'm looking forward to hearing your responses towards this. If you had a chance to like book, who would be the Nickelodeon host of this, like basically at the play-by-play, who would be on the sideline, who would be in the studio. I've got ideas, and I'm going to give you mine right here, right now. I think play-by-play needs to be Doug Funny, color commentator Roger Klotz, because Roger Klotz can be critical as all get-out, and it'd be a lot of fun, just the dynamic between those two. I feel like it'd be more of a Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby Heenan type situation, and I like that. I, I like the idea right out the gate. And then you also have... Ren of Ren and, no, excuse me, Stimpy, Stimpy, flip it over. Stimpy playing the role of sideline reporter. And I'd probably wind up going with, like, Stimpy being there, some because of the fact that I feel like he'd be the Booker McFarlane. He'd be really fun to kind of see what's going on. And I, I would love to see that premise run its course, in all honesty. That would be really awesome to kind of see. But, of course, we're talking about, like, hypotheticals. And then I'd also probably say, in your studio crew, I say you put in a reunion, you put like Ren and Mr. Horse from Ren and Stimpy because I think that would be really fun just because of the fact you, and also the fact that this is really the reason why I brought it up is because of the fact that you would only have to pay one guy to do all those voices. And that is the great Billy West of Futurama fame. I'm going to go ahead and take a quick time out. Be back with more. We'll be back. Right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Coming to you live from the 1037 The Game studios. And my goodness, it is going to be an NFC South Super Show. I teased it earlier. That's because of the fact that we've got a representative from each NFC South team joining the program. And we'll start things off. We'll start the conversation with 
Elena Getzenberg. She is the Carolina Panthers beat reporter for the Charlotte Observer out in the Queen City in the heart of Ric Flair country. Elena, how's it going? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me on. How are you? I am doing fantastic. I think y'all are probably doing pretty well right about now in terms of the fan base because of the fact that you have made a lot of great moves in the free agency. Of course, the big highlight is former New Orleans Saint Teddy Bridgewater. How big of an impact did that make in the fan base, like right from Jump Street, from what you noticed? Well, I will say to start off that they're still recovering from Cam Newton moving on, so I'm not sure they're too happy quite yet, but I definitely think, you know, it was just the way Teddy Bridgewater came in, the kind of, you know, with Cam still in the roster and all that, but now I think there's definitely um, some excitement with the weapons they've brought in to go with him, Robbie Anderson, I think there is some excitement to see what Teddy Bridgewater can do in Joe Brady's offense. And, you know, we, we talk about Cam Newton. It seems like it's just a new-look team all the way around, and we'll get to kind of the coaching staff and some of the other free agency moves. But with Cam Newton and the release, did that just feel like an inevitability to you? Yeah, I mean, I think we got, I think the release, how it ended up going, was what was maybe a little more surprising than, you know, for a while now, a couple months, it was very clear that, you know, they were headed in this direction that you know, Cam likely wouldn't be on the roster in 2020. But the question is, you know, can they trade him? Can they get something from a team interested in taking on that contract? And I think, you know, it got to a point where, you know, there's too many good quarterbacks this year in the NFL and not enough teams. So I think it was kind of the way it went down was maybe a little unexpected, but him moving on was not a surprise. Talk right now with Elena Getzenberg, beat writer for the Charlotte Observer and, you know, I brought up the fact it's a whole new team. you got new head coach Matt Rule coming from Baylor. you got Joe Brady, the mastermind behind LSU's national championship offense, also former uh, offensive coordinator for the New Orleans Saints, and he became passing game coordinator at LSU. What can you say about how much of an impact those two guys make in terms of just the overall kind of look of a team instantaneously? Because you've got the defensive-minded Matt Rule, who – did a great job at Baylor, and then you've got a guy like Joe Brady who has been able to be the quarterback whisperer of sorts and also has a previous relationship with Teddy Bridgewater. How much does that change the complexion of like an outlook for this kind of franchise? Oh, I think it's I think it's huge. I don't think you can you know, this is going to be a completely different team than 2019. It's just not even there's most, a lot of guys are gone almost only two coaches that were there before are still there. It's just a completely different team. This is not this is not how we're anymore. This is just a whole different thing. And I don't think you can undersell that. This is, you know, Matt Wilbra and almost his entire coaching staff it feels like from Baylor except Joe Brady. And, you know, he's really bringing his influence. You can see that from all the Temple, former Temple players that played under him joining the roster, like uh, like I said, Robbie Anderson and P.J. Walker from the XFL. So, And then when it comes to Joe Brady, I think that's a big part of why Teddy Bridgewater was appealing. You know, he has that relationship with Joe Brady, and they're going to implement the offense he learned from his time with the Saints. A lot of, you know, those principles, and I think you're gonna, that impact is going to be huge. And you talk about P.J. Walker, XFL stud, uh, coming out the, from the Houston Roughnecks. You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about this on the fly. Do you think he could see P.J. Walker be in a Taysom Hill-esque role this year? Uh, that's a really good question. I 
I wouldn't be surprised if they find something cool for him to do. I don't know who it would be. I feel like Jason Hurd maybe is more than I see PJ Walker being used, but I wouldn't be surprised if they put together some funky things for him. That's actually, I hadn't really thought about that before. That's an interesting idea. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all. He did some pretty cool things in the XFL. I think it's just the fact that you were able to kind of see P.J. Walker really shine in the XFL and be a breakout star. I want to see what's going to happen next with him and be able to see him kind of excel at that next level. And if you have him just kind of in like the depth chart, it would be a QB3 because he'll probably be behind a guy like Kyle Allen and you could wind up using him in that kind of role to where you can have a lot of misdirection and stuff, and we know Joe Brady is used to working with that kind of setup over the last couple of years, being with the Saints, I wouldn't be surprised that they want to try to turn him into a Taysom Hill-esque, because after all, it is a copycat league. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about them bringing in P.J. Walker is now, he Matt Rule coached him. He has a lot of comfortability with him. He knows what he's good at. He knows how to best get things across to him. So I think... If P.J. Walker is going to excel in the NFL, this is his opportunity, whether it's like in preseason or, you know, just if, it's, if he's going to further his career, this is the best opportunity for him to do so. Soccer right now with Elena Getzenberg, part of the Charlotte Observer, the Carolina Panthers beat writer. And there's a lot of other things that, were, that went on with their, with their offseason free agency signings. Keith Kirkwood, former Saint, joining the franchise. Definitely a heck of a talent underrated I would say and then you also wound up getting some help on the offensive line and John Miller what can you say about what they were able to do with free agency beyond that Teddy Bridgewater signing that definitely kind of made made the NFC South a lot more interesting from top to bottom yeah it definitely made it more interesting what I'll say about their free agency I think you've got Teddy Bridgewater and Robbie Anderson those were to me where they're like big signings, the ones that will make the most impact. The other one was that they signed um, to hear Whitehead from the Raiders, who may be their middle linebacker, may not. We'll see what they do in the draft and the rest of free agency. But besides that, I feel like a lot of their moves, you know, bringing in a guy like Keith Kirkwood, who dealt with injuries, and John Miller, who was cut by the Bengals, I think they brought in they some smaller signings. They're all younger guys on short-term deals, so they're kind of, you know... <laughs> testing things out and in a somewhat rebuilding stage. We're not making huge commitments with any of these guys, but they're definitely, you know, trying different things out and trying to kind of build up. Talk right now, Elena Getzenberg, part of the Charlotte Observer. And, you know, just looking at how things are right now with the NFC South, is this the toughest division to kind of get out of in your mind? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think so. I mean, you just like, I think the Panthers are some of the best teams I think they're the weakest team by far. I mean, that's just that harsh. But I think you look at this division with Tom Brady and what the Bucks are doing and the Saints already being what they are. I just don't see the Panthers are too much of their defense is a mess. So, as it stands now before the draft. So, I just think this division is so difficult with the quarterbacks. And, you know, the Falcons are already established, so they're a threat too. And I just think. The Panthers have quite a season ahead of them, definitely in this division. And, you know, Elena, just looking looking at how this team looks right here, right now, after the season they had last year, where do you think the Panthers go from here, be it the rest of free agency and heading into the draft? Where do you see them going with that first-round pick? I keep going back and forth. 
Simmons. I think in an ideal world for me, it would be Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker slash safety, I guess, from Clemson. But I think now it's more that there's a bigger chance he's not there at seventh overall where they pick. So I wouldn't be surprised. I think a defensive lineman Derek Brown from Auburn would make a lot of sense for them. They need a lot of help up front. So I think for me, it, I would I'd be surprised if it's it should be a defensive guy just because they need so much help up there. So for me, either Isaiah Simmons or Derek Brown are the ideal fit. And, you know, one more here for you, a little bit more ladder side. You know, obviously, without the world of sports, I know you're definitely kind of keeping yourself busy. I mean, it was hard to kind of get a hold of you, kind of a little bit inside baseball. But we managed to get you on the program. What have you kind of been doing to fill that void without sports? Because it's it's a very weird time in the sports radio and probably the sports, the newspaper business as well. Just what are you doing to kind of fill the time? I know you got to get creative. Well, for me, I, I know I've been busy because – while, like, the rest of the sports world and everything has come to a halt, the editor has for sure not. But they still, I've been working over these past, like, three weeks that I had, like, prior. So it's been just busy. We've had, like, a lot of Zoom press conferences with the new guys just talking and meeting them and writing some stories. And then, you know, the Panthers actually start a form of off-season training programs on Monday. It's going to be virtual, but... They are starting. We would have been in person next week, but of course that's not going to happen. So it's just been a busy time period. The draft's going on. But other than that, I'm watching a lot of TV. So but it's mostly it's just been about everything else has slowed down. The NFL continues on. And you know, we're, we're talking about like you brought up a virtual like OTAs. Could you see a situation yeah. where, hypothetically here, you could see basically, oh, hey, you get to have access to this um, uh, virtual teleconferencing type situation for like 15 minutes, and then you get the press conference with the coach via Zoom. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I mean, we're already, there's plenty of coaches across the league that have been doing phone conferences and all that sort of thing. I think this dresses up the more creative teams and everyone's going to get. I know they're doing team meetings via like iPads and conference calls. So everyone's getting creative with what's going on and I guess making it work. And, you know, you brought up kind of getting creative. I know the Saints, they announced that they were going to be holding their NFL draft war room inside of a brewery at a Dixie Brewing, which is really cool. What's Any word on what the war room could be like in a Charlotte? I haven't heard yet why exactly they'll be. I know the NFL is looking into whether or not teams can have it in their facility with a limited number of people. So I think in the ideal world, they'd be doing that. But not sure yet on where else it would be. haven't heard. Well, if they can get as creative as the Saints, though, that would be good. <laughs> it, I mean, it also helps matters that they own the building. So I think that was a big reason why they want to go on that route. But, Elena, thank you so much for coming on. We'll talk to you down the road once we get closer to, hopefully, normalcy and, more importantly, football season. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. All right, that was Elena Getzenberg. You can follow her on Twitter. It's just that simple. Elena Getzenberg, that's A-L-A-I-N-A-G-E-T-Z-E-N-B-E-R-G. Actually, it's A. Getzenberg. So it's a little bit simpler than I was saying it was. But I appreciate her joining the program. And when we come back, we'll keep it going on. We'll go to another team that maybe Saints fans aren't necessarily a big fan of, but guess what? They blew a 20-3 lead in the Super Bowl, 
And also the Saints will be playing them in a special re-air of the Rebird game this Monday night on the four-letter network. And that's really cool as well. But in the meantime, and in between time, we'll take a quick timeout. If we come back, we got a lot more. D. Orlando Ledbetter joining the program in just a few minutes. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you live from the 103.7 The Game studios. And right now we're going to keep the NFC South Super Show theme going. And we're going to go over to the ATL to talk to D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He's been covering the Falcons for a while now, so I'm glad to have him aboard the program. Hey, how's it going, man? It's going pretty good, CD. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate you coming on the program. You know, we need to kind of start things off looking at this team, and they've been making like some more low-key moves with their franchise this year. I think one of the only real huge ones they've made, Dante Fowler and Todd Gurley, both former Los Angeles Rams. Those are some huge gets for this team that's definitely kind of like kind of trying to recover or trying to build off the momentum from last year's like strong finish. Yeah, no question about it. They basically swapped out uh, Fowler and Gurley for Devontae Freeman and Vic Beasley. Still have some problems along their uh, uh, offensive line. Uh, They also picked up Hayden Hurst in a uh, trade with the Ravens. Uh, Hayden Hurst replaced Austin Hooper, who went went on to uh, Cleveland in free agency. So uh, they're kind of treading water here. Hoping that, uh, you know, a lot of players that they've been developing will get better uh, and try to maximize the prime of Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. Exactly. You got to try and maximize that. And just before we kind of keep going with the free agency talk, looking back to last year, especially the way things started, it was not a good start for that franchise in 2019. But they managed to turn around. What do you think was the big key? For that turnout, was it just getting that win in the Superdome against the Saints coming off their bye week? Yeah, no question about it. They uh, they fired all three coordinators, and uh, that took a while for them to, to, as coaches to get coordinated and come up with a plan. Uh, the, the defense was running around for the first half of the season, uh, pretty much confused over there, and uh, the head coach was calling all that. Uh, and so, you know, they simplified things, went to Raheem Morris, moved him over to defense, and uh, was able to attack the Saints after the bye week. And that sent him on a roll to go finish the season with a 6-2 and two mark over the last eight games. So, you know, they might have tried to overthink their coaching moves and, uh, you know, took some time to adjust to how they needed to play with the players they had. Talk right now with D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And another big free agency move that they did get was former Minnesota Viking Laquan Treadwell. The former Ole Miss Rebel has been one of the best wide receivers for the Vikings for quite a while outside of Stephon Diggs, obviously. But getting Laquan Treadwell to be a good complement alongside guys like Russell Gage, 
former LSU Tiger Muhammad Sanu and also Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. Is this kind of the best wide receiver core that could be building right now for these Atlanta Falcons? I definitely love to kind of throw the football a lot more. Yeah, no question. They, uh, you know, have a good one-two combination. Ridley was on his way to a very good uh, second year in the league before he got hurt. They developed Russell Gage, uh, Laquan Treadwell. The, um, he was the all-time league receiver at Ole Miss. So he, uh, you know, didn't do uh, as well up in Minnesota with uh, Thielen and, and Diggs, uh, you know, playing in front of him, but uh, still a steady pro who can come in and uh, make a tough catch for you. Uh, in the in the, in the uh, attack in the main offense, so yeah, that's definitely four deep at wide receiver that should uh, you know uh, pose some problems for a lot of secondaries in the NFC South. And you just look at that. Te- you look at that team as a whole right now, and I think one of the bigger questions for this team is like on the defensive side of the football. We've talked a lot more about the offense. What can you say about what they've been able to do defensively in terms of building that up in terms of in free agency? Well, you know, they, they did get um, a fowler. They, they re-signed Tyler Davidson, the former New Orleans Saint. Uh, but they still got to get some more help before that defensive front. They're counting on Pat McKinley to come through. They lost uh, Adrian Claiborne and Jack Crawford, two other veterans who, uh, you know, went to the Browns. Claiborne went to the Browns, Crawford to the Titans. So uh, there was about 1,000 snaps, 1,656 snaps that they lost on a defensive line, along with the strong side linebacker, Devondre Campbell, went to Arizona. Because, you know, they once you pay Matt Ryan, you pay Julio Jones, you pay Grady Jarrett, uh, you don't have money. So you start losing players that you had developed. And uh, that's what they've done here. And they're going to try to replace them with some uh, draft picks and some of the younger guys that were further down on the roster. And, you know, we'll flip it on over to the special teams for a minute because one of the guys that the Falcons did sign to a one-year deal was Youngway Koo, a guy who I think Saints fans are not a fan of anymore, former Georgia Southern Eagle. He was absolutely outstanding in the waning moments of that Thanksgiving night game, giving the Falcons a bit of a second life late in that ball game. What do you say about what Koo's been able to do over the last year? Yeah, he's been able to study that kicking position. They uh, were with Matt Bryant for a long time, tried to move on, uh, didn't uh, have the right person picked for that job. Uh, but Youngway came in uh, after spending some time with the Chargers and stabilized that position. You know, they can't overkick him, you know, outside of his range as long as a 51-52. So, you know, you got to get to the 35 before you send him out there. But he's a specialist in those onside kicks and knows how to uh, place the ball and uh, put it in the right spot on his kickoffs and uh, with the field goals. So he uh, has been a very valuable member to the special teams. They'll bring in some competition for him this year. Uh, but, uh, you know, he showed he, he did a very good job last year for the Falcons. And, you know, just looking at how the NFC South changed, it is like overnight quickly become – the toughest division in my mind in all the NFL, not just because of a lot of the moves that the Falcons have made, the Carolina Panthers, obviously with Tom Brady joining in on the fun as well over in the NFC South. Is this the toughest division, and could this be a blessing in disguise, the fact that this is going to be an additional playoff game, the playoff expansion is going to happen this season? Do you think that's a big blessing in disguise for a team like the Atlanta Falcons that could very well make it into the playoffs? 
even though they could be very well a third, potentially a third place team in the in the in the division. Yeah, no question about it. That would have happened uh, in 2015. They would have been the seventh seed, and then 2009, going back to uh, uh, Matt Ryan's second year, they would have been in the playoffs. That would have been eight of the player, eight of the uh, last 12 years in the playoffs with those two. So uh, they've definitely been in the hunt in the NFC South. Uh, figured to be there again. Uh, you know, you got three of the top ten passing quarterbacks of all time in the division now. So uh, that's going to put a lot of stress on the secondaries and and the pass rushers. So uh, Cam Jordan is, leads up the Saints pass rush, and the uh, the Bucks led by Shaquille Barrett last year, and Sue and Jason Pierre-Paul have a pass rush, whereas the Falcons' pass rush has been suspect. Talk right now with D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And, you know, why don't you kind of give us a quick grade on how the – Falcons have done in free agency so far. Yeah, I think it's a B plus given the money that they had. Um, you know, getting uh, they've been able to replace guys that they lost. However, you know, the big one is Desmond Trufant. They let the top cornerback go, and uh, they don't have a replacement for him. So they'll probably do that in the draft. Uh, they went out and got some quality backups. Leroy Reynolds, a veteran that's been around. Uh, Edmund Robinson, an XFLer who's been in the NFL for a while. Kyrie Lee, a tight end that uh, has been in the NFL for a while and was in the XFL. So, you know, they're building the back of that roster with veteran cheap guys that, you know, you got to do once you pay a lot of players, and they've done that. And, you know, we kind of got to look over at what's going on in the NFL draft. It's a few weeks away. And what do you think the Atlanta Falcons are going to do with their first-round pick, they'd be picking fairly early. Where do you see them going? Well, at 16, I think they'll uh, be tempted to trade up and go get uh, Javon Kinlaw out of South Carolina. Uh, the Falcons, uh, under Thomas Dimitrov, love to trade up, and uh, that would be the, uh, the, the trade-up move. If they sit at 16 and don't trade up, uh, you know, they'll go with uh, maybe C.J. Henderson, the cornerback, Chris Henderson out of uh, Florida. Uh, then maybe he can. Uh, he's got the exact same measurables as Desmond Trufant uh, coming out of uh, Washington in 2013. So uh, you know they need to get the cornerback. They need to fix the um, the uh, defensive front and pass rush. But then they also uh, need to get a tack, a guard or a center. Alex Mack's going to be 35. He's not going to play forever. But you know you probably won't get a. Good center uh, guard prospect at 16. You can find that later in the draft. So, look, uh, so you know, obviously with no sports going on, what are you kind of doing to fill that void? Because it seems like right here, right now, we're running out of ideas and, and we're running out of, like, all these vintage games to watch and fill that void. What have you kind of been doing to fill it? Well, it's been pretty uh, normal for the NFL B-Riders. We've been covering free agency and the signings and the players. Uh, they've been making them available, and then next week we'll, um, at least here in Atlanta, we'll spin into our um, position by position draft series. That'll get us right up to the draft, and then we'll, we'll, you know, cover the draft. We'll be okay until you get to May and June, which is normally a downtime anyway, and uh, you won't have your OTAs. But here in Atlanta, we're doing series. We did a look at the top ten. Uh, Final Four is all-time since the Final Four would have been in Atlanta this weekend. And uh, another thing we're doing is uh, we're doing a series on 
Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays on the most bizarre sports moments in Atlanta sports history. So uh, I got to work on my 28-3 Super Bowl story here this weekend. Oh, goodness gracious, writing a 28-3 to story. How, how like, just nerve-wracking is that, just having to write something about this game again? Well, the problem will be getting something fresh about it because since I was there and covered it, I just don't want to rehash the old story. Uh, you know, so I'm going to, you know, try to get some of the guys to give me a, a different take on it here and, uh, you know, give the readers a, another uh, perspective on what happened on that. Uh, fateful day and the worst collapse in Super Bowl history. You know, D. Orlando Ledbetter, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll be talking to you down the road, especially once we hopefully get back to some normalcy and more importantly, we get closer to football season, which I hope we can have. Well, I do too, Clinton. Thanks for having me and call anytime you want me to come on the show. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you joining the show once again. D. Orlando Ledbetter, you can follow him. On Twitter, D Orlando AJC. And while you're there, you can follow me on Twitter as well, Clint Doming, C L I N T D O M I N G U E. And, you know, we're going to keep this show going on. We got another, like, hour and 15 minutes left in this show, and we're going to continue kind of that conversation about the NFC South in just a little bit. Don't worry. I'll jump around to some different topics because honestly, I want to be able to get other people's takes about what's going on with their favorite franchise or their franchise they cover the most. And that is without a doubt what's going on with the Atlanta Falcons, the Carolina Panthers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which we'll talk to somebody later about that. Ross Jackson, see see what the latest with the Saints is, what's going on with them, plans for the NFL draft. And mind you, that interview was taped just before the news was announced about Dixie Brewing Company being the official war room which is an interesting kind of proposition to say the least. Hopefully they're able to have plenty of booze on tap if they don't get some of the guys they want. But, again, I'm going to go ahead and take a quick timeout because, honestly, I've got a lot of other stuff to talk about. And this next segment is going to be very interesting because last night they had the NBA 2K League type thing, and I, I'm interested in the idea, but I've got an idea to make it just a little bit better. That's where I'm going to land in terms of wrapping up our number one, but we'll do that next. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game, and this is Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And obviously a lot of people are interested in what's going on with the NBA and their 2K League type thing. Whatever the hell you want to call it. Honestly, it's a little weird. I'm just going to say that right now. Just seeing NBA 2K being used and they're airing it on the four-letter network. It's the NBA 2K Players Tournament. It's the first of its kind, 
And honestly, I'm not a fan of that idea. I've mentioned this before on Jordy's show. I've mentioned it on Twitter as well, like right after all this was kind of happening. I threw my idea out there. So here's and you know, here's how the tournament is set up where you got Kevin Durant taking on Derrick Jones Jr., Montrell Mont ah, hopefully I'm pronouncing this right. Montrez Harrell, DeMontis Sabonis, Devin Booker, Michael Porter Jr., Donovan Mitchell. They got Rui Hachimura. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Trey Young, Harrison Barnes on the other side of the bracket. Zach Levine, DeAndre Ayton, Andre Drummond taking on DeMarcus Cousins. They got Hassan Whiteside taking on Patrick Beverly. It's a 16-person tournament, and it's got some interesting rules in it, but I think I could do it a little bit better. And I've mentioned it on these programs before. My idea and my proposal for the NBA to institute this into their temporary league is I think the NBA wants to just go straight to the playoffs. So here's my idea. One player from all 30 teams is going to be playing NBA 2K, and they got to have online games. You can only use your particular team. It's not a my team setup. It is straight up. The way it would be, just as you drew it up with the, all the teams that are going to be in there. No changing of the rosters, no adjustments. You play as is. And these games count. Why am I saying they count? So because of the fact that I think that's the right idea to go about it. Because honestly, not having the league, go, not having a end of the regular season, you just go ahead and pass go and you start at the postseason it robs teams like the Pelicans of having a chance to get better in a situation where the league obviously does resume. It's a one of these scenarios. I think this could be a thing where the NBA is ahead of the game, so why not go ahead and start off, and I guarantee you, you can have something big with this. You can have a lot of fun with it as well. Just go live and have these guys face off against each other with these teams and I think you'd have a lot more intrigue. You'd be able to see, oh, hey, I want to put this guy who I know plays the game of NBA 2K pretty darn well. And, heck, you could have like a mini tournament of sorts with all your guys, and then eventually you have the winner of that tournament represent you. You can spend a couple weeks, get that ready, and then you play two games a day. You play against, let's say, let's say for instance, we put Josh Hart of the Pelicans, and he's going to be taking on, Let's say Anthony Davis of the Los Angeles Lakers, if AD wants to play it and probably get injured afterwards. It's a little shade there. But I like the idea of bringing this to the forefront and making sure you have everything under control and you set yourself up for a lot of awesome things down the road. And it gives all these teams a chance to secure a spot and play in the playoffs because the fact that these games will count towards your win-loss record. You're going to play the rest of those games, but you're going to play them virtually. That way you can have a true postseason matchup, and you don't have teams like the Pelicans on the outside looking in after a great second half of the season, after Zion Williamson finally came back. That all goes, that's all for naught. I know a lot of people out there may not 100% get my idea, but I think it's the right idea if you want to wind up having it be at a level play, at least somewhat of a level level playing field. Obviously, if you have the Pelicans just completely run roughshod over everybody, then the conversation changes. But guess what? The second things get started back up, and you don't have a one hundred percent just true setup to move forward and set yourself up for a lot of greatness. It's tough. 
it's just extremely tough to kind of talk about it right here, right now, and say, hey, this is the right idea. This is the way that we need to go if we're going to succeed in the NBA. I'm not saying it's the right answer or the wrong answer. I think that the NBA 2K League or whatever you want to call it, the Players Tournament, shouldn't be a thing. You should have one representative from all 30 teams play to simulate who's going to win. Who's going to win in those games? No changing of the lineups, just everything as is, and you play from a lot of these teams didn't play on March 11th, so you start from March 11th. You reset everything. That Mavericks game that finished, that's the only one that will count. All the other games will start from scratch, and they'll start from there. Then the next day, you'll bring the Mavericks and the other team they play, which I honestly can't remember. A lot's changed in the last month, but I think that would be a really cool idea to get some of the young pups in it. And honestly, that probably wound up selling a lot more copies of NBA 2K. At least that's my opinion. All right, hour number one is in the books. Hour two coming up next, and we're going once again to the if-then-well and I've got something interesting involving a former Auburn Tiger. We were talking about Cam Newton earlier. We're going to keep it going with him and the what if I have about him. We'll be back after this on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. And hey, if you're also listening in through the Alexa Smart Speaker or Google Home, more power to you. And thanks for listening. should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And off we go. Hour number two of two of Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station. 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully you have a good one so far on this Saturday afternoon. I know everybody's probably just kind of like sick and tired of everything going on with COVID-19. But that's why I'm here. I like to have a lot of fun and talk about a bunch of different things. And one of those things is what ifs. I started this last week. This is going to be a series, probably going to be at the top of every second hour of the show. Just looking at what would happen if this thing happened. Last week it was... If Jimbo Fisher was hired as the head coach of the LSU Tigers, then Joe Burrow does a transfer to LSU. This week is a lot more interesting in terms of long-term booking and where things go from here. And we start off with, what if Cam Newton never transferred from Florida? We all know the story. What if he never threw that computer and eventually transferred out of Florida and went to Auburn and won a national championship in the process. And I think this would have had a huge ripple effect in terms of the way things were and where the power lies in the SEC East. 
And why am I saying that? Because you got to think about it. Cam Newton transferred out. And then in 2010, LSU barely beat that Auburn, that LSU team once Cam transferred out and went over to the University of Auburn not long after that. So here's how I see it going. You have Cam Newton. He sticks around. He becomes a starting quarterback after Tim Tebow leaves to go to the NFL and ply his wares. Mind you, not that great, but still a interesting career choice for him. Joining the New York Mets. All that still happens. But it's what happens with the University of Florida. Cam Newton, he's not a problem child. He's able to keep things under control. He's able to stay at the University of Florida with Urban Meyer at the helm. And I think Cam Newton helps this team win an SEC East title in his first year with that program as a starting quarterback. He beats LSU in that nail-biter of a ball game that I watched the other night on the deuce. And and that's what really kind of started the whole thing for me. Because I'm like, what if Cam Newton was actually still part of the Florida Gators? How much would have changed? Well, one, Auburn would wouldn't win an SEC title and a national title as well with Cam Newton. Cam Newton would win a national title with Florida, and that also creates another ripple effect in that Urban Meyer does not leave the University of Florida. You don't have the computer flying out the hotel room, but you get the man himself, Urban Meyer, to stay. He doesn't have the health problems. Again, these are because I believe those health problems were a little bit fake news. Could they have been for real? I don't know. But it's definitely something to kind of think about. So my whole thing is that's the real big thing. Is the fact Cam Newton keeps serving my around. They win a national title with him. And then we see Florida start to slowly but surely become a powerhouse in the SEC East instead of seeing Georgia on a regular basis. LSU plays Florida in the 2011 national title game, and I think LSU beats them quite handily. And then they play in 2012 in that national title game and lose to Alabama. But that 2011 game, that would have been a lot more fun. That might have been a game where LSU had gotten past midfield and you didn't need the Tyran Matthew touchdown really turn the tide and then you see LSU roll past Georgia Florida keeps this thing extremely competitive the fact they played each other earlier in the year and then we see LSU Alabama the rematch I think that's a distinct possibility because I just don't think Urban Meyer gets this team across the threshold and gets them to where they need to be gets them to the promised land we see that feels a lot easier said than done simply because of that reason. But whenever you look up and down that roster, I think at the end of the day, you see everything that they have to offer. They've got a ton, and I mean a ton of potential. And they start to really become a power in the SEC East. And it's not just every single year, year in, year out, you continue to see Georgia in that SEC title game, and they get housed every year. Now it's a lot more competitive. You see things in a different light versus what we see nowadays. And I think that's really kind of where this whole thing lies, where all the power lies right here right now is the fact, I think, Irvin Meyer 
sticks around for a few more years. That means Ohio State doesn't win the national title in the first year of the college football playoff. In fact, I'll go as far as to say Michigan takes the place of Ohio State in that sense. Because if you remember, Jim Harbaugh not long ago was joined up with those Michigan Wolverines after playing for him, he becomes the head coach in 2015. So I think Michigan, the fact you don't have Urban Meyer, Michigan takes over as a real power in the Big Ten, and I think they make the college football playoff a couple years into the Michigan run. The 2016 game, the 2016 season, excuse me, was where this team was actually on another level. They looked really good. And they can set themselves up really nicely and start building up a lot of hype around the program, and the hype is justified. So no longer is Jim Harbaugh the guy that continually keeps losing to a man like Urban Meyer. Instead, he dominates the Big Ten and is able to kind of start building himself up and build up their brand. So there we go. That's kind of where we're starting with. All right, so that's about it when it comes to my idea about the what if Cam Newton never left Florida. I think if Cam Newton never left Florida, they win another national title. We see Urban Meyer stick around. He stays with the University of Florida, and then he retires at the end of the season. That's kind of where my booking is. I still see him going into 2020 season, and he no longer wants to be a part of a program. He goes into an analyst job with Fox. Of course, it's if the season happens. But he still has an opportunity to set himself up quite nicely and be able to make a lot of money in the process. But that's where we're at right here, right now, with this whole fantasy booking. I like the idea. Hopefully you do as well. But hopefully you like as well what we're doing starting this Sunday. And I cannot wait to kind of see this because we're going to be doing a Facebook Live three days a week starting on Sunday. Tomorrow we're going to be doing something really cool. And I'd recommend you check out 1037thegame.com to get full details about what's going on with this because, trust me, it is a pretty awesome lineup, to say the least, about these. It's called Sliding Into Home. And tomorrow night, the first of many, Ben Love will be live on Facebook with Keith Hornsby, former LSU Tiger, for 30 minutes. They're going to talk about a lot of different things and spend time just really doing a deep dive into life as the son of Keith Hornsby, uh, Bruce Hornsby, excuse me, that'd be interesting. But I think that's really cool. There's a lot of other stuff that's going on with it as well when it comes down to it. But sliding into home three days a week, it's going to be on Sundays, Tuesdays, and then you also have, I believe it's going to be on Thursdays as well. So three days a week, kind of alternating between Ben Love, Nick Fontenot, and RP3. It's a little bit of bonus content because, well, why not? You're getting tired of watching all those classic games. And Facebook Live seems to be what's hot in the streets, as the kids like to say. And I pretty much have to agree with a lot of them because I think that it is probably one of the things that everybody's been doing, been kind of learning about and how Facebook Live is changing the way we kind of do things and the way things are presented. We see on Instagram Live all the time, we see all these artists putting stuff together, but this is the first of many. And we're calling it a social media series starting this Sunday, 8 o'clock, and it'll be three times a week on Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday nights at 8. 
Ben Love will be the first one with Keith Hornsby, former LSU basketball star. And then on Tuesday night, RP3 and company co-host Raymond Parsh III will be chatting with Cajuns football legend Damon Mason. And then Thursday, a little prep sports talk with daily advertiser, sports reporter Eric Narcisse and Nick Fontenot. Again, this is just going to be some really cool stuff. Just additional, you can call it lanyap content that we're giving you on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1037thegame. Go check it out tomorrow night starting at 8 o'clock. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout in a couple of minutes, but also make sure you check out 1037thegame.com as well. If you're not already there, I'd recommend you go check it out. I mention all the time at the Tuna Drill for all the coverage you could ask for, and trust me, we've got tons of it. From the latest COVID-19 info, news about the downtown live house sessions, Will, will you get your economic impact payment and really awesome overall stories for people like Mayor Josh Gilroy talking about Drew Brees and the aid he's given to the Acadiana area and a whole lot more. Again, just check out 1037thegame.com for all the coverage you could ask for. Acadiana Sports Station has got you covered on a lot of different fronts, including a column I wrote earlier this week about how pro wrestling is the last bastion of a sports world. Well, you like using these $5 words when I write columns. But check it out right now, 1037thegame.com. We'll be back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037thegame and 1037thegame.com. Taylor Jenkins joining the show in a couple of minutes. Ross Jackson, 1130, talking Saints, talking Bucks. We're talking NFC South. The Super Show continues next on 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game at 103.7thegame.com. Live on tape from the 103.7 The Game studios. Hopefully you're having a good Saturday afternoon. And right now we're going to get to the game hotline with some quickness. We've got to kind of continue our NFC South conversation and NFC South roundtable, if you will. And we'll flip it on over to undoubtedly kind of when you look at it, the preseason favorite in a lot of people's eyes and that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers now with Tom Brady at the helm. And we go to the game hotline right now. Taylor Jenkins, beat writer for the Pewter Report. Taylor, what's going on? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I am doing fantastic. I'd about imagine the vibe over in Tampa Bay is through the roof. Simply because of the fact that now you're sitting pretty right now, I think, in top of, top of these preseason rankings that we're talking about right here, right now. We're not even to the draft yet. But when you look at what... Tampa Bay is done getting Tom Brady. How huge is that? I think it's monumental. I mean, I think it's something that most fans wouldn't have predicted was even much of a realistic opportunity or scenario. I mean, even if you had talked to me four or five days before they actually signed Tom Brady or it became official, I probably would have told you that it wouldn't happen. I mean, it's such a monumental signing. It's up there with Reggie White to the Packers, Peyton Manning to the Broncos, Deion Sanders to the 49ers and Cowboys, you're bringing a guy who has six Super Bowl rings to Tampa Bay, which is really the losingest franchise in the history of the four major American sports. So I know it's a little, it was a little split with the fan base on Jameis Winston. A lot of people still thought he could produce and he could win, especially in his second year with Bruce Arians. But I think, like you said, 
a lot of fans are just ecstatic to have Tom Brady coming to Tampa, and rightfully so. It's crazy to think, you brought it up perfectly, it's crazy to think that Tom Brady was going to choose the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It felt like for a while you were hearing the rumors about the Las Vegas Raiders, a lot of other different franchises being in the running. What was kind of your thought on, like, why did Tom Brady pick Tampa by the Bay whenever you first heard the news, not not necessarily after you heard Tom Brady talk at that press conference? Well, like you said, I mean, some big names out there were the Las Vegas Raiders. They have, you know, um, John Gruden, and they're moving to Vegas, and you've got the huge media swarm that is that. You have the, the L.A. Chargers there in L.A., another huge market. But when it boils down to it, I think Bruce Arians is a big pull. I think Jason Light, he worked with the uh, Patriots as a personnel guy back in the day. You have these unbelievable weapons in O.J. Howard and Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. It's really going to be one of the biggest offensive you know, um, units that Tom Brady has ever had at his disposal dating back years. So I think that's something that really um, is a strong pull for Tom, and I really don't think that the Bucks roster is too far off from being a contender. And you just look at everything they've been able to do in free agency outside of Tom Brady. I mean, whenever you get kind of these guys to, to keep aboard with Shaq, Barrett, Jason Pierre-Paul, and I think the bigger one is Dominican Sue, a one-year deal, $8 million. What does that say? Not just on the offensive side of the football. They always have looked good, but the defensive side of the football is definitely looking quite strong as well. Absolutely. And I know the front seven was one of the biggest emphasis that Jason Light and Bruce Arians had heading into the offseason. They really wanted to keep that front seven together. You had Levante David and you had Devin White staying. You had uh, Vita Vea up the middle. But keeping uh, Jason Pierre-Paul and re-signing him for two years, keeping Indomitian Sue, keeping Shaq Barrett, who led the league in sacks, is just monumental. And I know a lot of fans want that big splash signing coming from outside. I mean, I know Shaq Barrett was a little under the radar last year at one year, $4 million, but when you look at it, if these guys had come from the outside, I mean, if I told you that if your team was going to sign Tom Brady, Jason Pierre-Paul, one of the league's premier defensive tackles in Indomitian Sioux, and the league's uh, reigning sack leader all in the same offseason, you'd be ecstatic. Now, it doesn't look huge because all of these guys are returning for the most part, but that's an incredible resume to bring back. They're the reigning number one rush defense in the league, and I think that they have a really young secondary in Sean Murphy Bunting, Jamel Dean, and Carlton Davis, all guys added through the last couple years. And if they can uh, avoid that sophomore slump, avoid a regression, and continue playing at the pace they were over the last six games of 2019, I think this can, again, be a really dangerous defense. Talk right now with Taylor Jenkins of the Pewter Report. And you brought up Devin White, former LSU Tiger, and all of us around these parts, we know ex- we love Devin White, not necessarily a fan of the fact that he wound up going over to division rival is what it is alongside a guy like Kendall Beckwith. But when you look at him, and where does he fit in the depth chart in your mind as we're in early April? Oh, he's absolutely at the top of it at the middle linebacker spot right there alongside um, uh, Levante David. Last year, Levante David made the switch over to middle linebacker, which is kind of what he was playing, now fitting that role in a 3-4 defense. But it's almost seemed like LSU to Tampa has become a pipeline for linebackers. You had Quan Alexander coming. You had Kendall Beckwith following in his uh, shoes. They played together at LSU. Then you had Devin White when kind of the unfortunate situation that Kendall Beckwith went through with the injury. 
um, with Quan Alexander leaving for San, from, for uh, San Francisco. But the Bucks love Devin White. He's a leader. He's outspoken, and I think he really dealt with some injuries early. He fought through um, uh, an illness in his first game of his rookie year, but he came on strong. He played phenomenal last year, and I think that they really are excited for him to be that that quarterback of the defense and be a guy that can run sideline to sideline, make those splash plays. He had a fumble recovery return for a touchdown against uh, the uh, Arizona Cardinals last year, and I think that's what the Bucks were expecting when they drafted a middle linebacker at number five overall. And I have to agree with you. Devin White is probably the top middle linebacker in that group, and right here, right now, again, that defense just looks to be like quite formidable alongside the def- the offensive side of the football but who's going to be the biggest target for Tom Brady in this first year, hopefully the first of maybe a couple of years being with those Buckos? Well, I think the biggest target, uh, I mean, it's tough because Tampa Bay has two absolutely unbelievable talents in Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Now, Mike Evans, he started his career with what? I think six straight thousand yard seasons. I think he's going to continue to show that he's an elite wide receiver in this league and produce like one. But Chris Godwin, he played over 60% of his snaps out of the slot last year, and I know he and Tom have already spoken. We had the number thing with Chris Godwin switching to 14, relinquishing that 12 that meant so much to Chris Godwin to one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time out of respect. But I think Chris Godwin is going to only build off of a Pro Bowl season in 2019 and be an unbelievable weapon over the middle of the field for Tom Brady. Let's talk right now with Taylor Jenkins, part of the Pewter Report right now and you know i think we can just look at we brought up the targets but what's one position that you're really concerned about as we get closer to the nfl draft i think the most pressing need for the bucks right now is at right tackle um demar dotson has been a long-standing factor there on that offensive line at right tackle for so long now he's nearing the end of his career he doesn't he's he's not necessarily as healthy as he always was He's not necessarily at his peak anymore. So while I believe they may bring him back on a one-year contract, I think that that's really the most pressing need heading into the draft. And what better year to have that as your biggest need, where even when you're sitting at 14 and so many dominoes have to fall one way or another for you to get the guy that you want there, it's not like sitting at five where you kind of have your pick of the litter. It's so dependent on what people in front of you do. But with talents like Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas, Mekhi Becton, I think at least one of those falls to the Bucks at 14, and I think they are more than happy to pick any of those four at that spot. Should they all be gone, I think they want to add a running back. I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of LSU is a huge target in maybe the second round if they can pick a, uh, an offensive tackle in the first. Cam Akers out of FSU maybe in the second round. Possibly Jonathan Taylor in the first round at 14. If you see those first four tackles off the board, and maybe see them try and slide back up into the first to grab Josh Jones or grab an offensive tackle in the second when they come back around. I like that a lot. And, you know, I think when you bring up guys like Clyde Edwards and Larry and building up that running back core, I think that would be absolutely huge just in terms of building that run-pass balance I think is absolutely crucial in this game in 2020. But before we kind of get to a little more of a lighter side stuff, where would you put the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in your preseason rankings right now? Oh, it's it's tough to say because the Bucks have such a history of beating themselves. It's almost weird to look at their at their uh, organization and their roster and see 
you know, a couple potential all pros at wide receiver to see a really young and, and, and flourishing secondary at the end of last year to see a six time Super Bowl winner at quarterback, a two time coach of the year at uh at head coach. I mean, I think they have to be at least considered a playoff team. I think it's probably going to be Tampa Bay and New Orleans, probably the two most talented rosters at the top of the NFC South, battling it out for the divisional lead. So I think they definitely have to be in the mix for a playoff spot at least, if not a, a deep playoff run. And, you know, you, we brought up Jameis Winston earlier, and it looks like his road has ended over at Tampa by the Bay. Do you see any other teams picking him up? It's really interesting to see um, just how long he sat here in free agency without even reports of kind of where an inkling of where he might wind up. Now, I know a lot of that has to do with what we're dealing with um, with coronavirus, but he had the knee injury. He had the hand injury. He had 30 interceptions despite his 5,100 yards and 33 touchdowns. I thought people, you know, early it could have been the Chargers, but they opted to go with um, Tyrod Taylor. It could have been potentially the Panthers, and they opted to go with Teddy Bridgewater. All of a sudden, these options, the Bears, when they traded for Nick Foles, all of a sudden, all of these options that were kind of seeming on the, on the forefront of the Jameis Winston sweepstakes have dried up. And now it's starting to look like, unless he lands somewhere completely unexpected, say the Patriots who are sitting with Jarrett Stidham right now, I think Jameis Winston is probably going to sign a backup deal somewhere. And when you look at when you think about Jameis Winston, potentially his career could be coming to an end in the not-too-distant future. What's one word to describe what Jameis Winston's NFL career looked like? Dedicated, really. I mean, you can say what you want about his decision-making off the field. You can say what you want about his decision-making on the field. But if you ask anyone in that locker room, if you ask anyone in that organization, there is zero doubt about he was the first guy in. He was the first guy out. He was a hard worker in the, in the uh, unit room. He was a hard worker on the field. And players would absolutely go to war for him. Now, obviously, when you're talking about bringing in a guy like Tom Brady, it, it, it's hard to compare. But I think that his work ethic and his dedication to bettering himself on and off the field in recent years is darn near unmatched. So I think dedicated has to be one word that you'd use to describe Jameis, even though it didn't necessarily work out or culminate in playoff appearances or winning, winning seasons. And, you know, going lighthearted to kind of end this one, because that's why I like to try and end interviews for a lot of time. And my, Absolutely. My question to you is, what are you doing to kind of fill the void? Because, obviously, without Sports Center lives, it's like we're trying to kind of, like, figure out how to fill that void. What have you been kind of doing lately? It's weird without sports because I forgot that I had hobbies up until, <laughs> you know, the quarantine situation came out. So, oh, yeah, I have interests outside of sports. So, I mean, it's given me a really good chance. I mean, I've been hanging out with my roommate a lot. We've, um, I, I used to watch a lot more movies back when I was in high school. So I've started uh, kind of picking those up, watching a movie every night or two. Um, I saw Goodfellas for the first time the other day, which crazy to think I've never seen Goodfellas. Um, I just finished Tiger King, the new All the Rage on Netflix the last two years. To my surprise, it wasn't about Joe Burrow or Coach O. But I finished Tiger King, and that was unbelievable. So I've been getting into a lot of movies and trying to keep my mind off of just sitting in the house and kind of what we're going through right now. And you brought me up to a different perspective when you brought up Tiger King, and that makes me wonder one more question for you. Joe Burrow or Tom Brady, which would you rather have be your quarterback? Oh, my. 
That's tough. I mean, I, I have to say Tom Brady. Until I mean, I, I love Joe Burrow as a prospect. I think he's going to have an immense amount of success in the NFL. I think he had arguably the greatest season any single player has had at LSU last year, and what he did is absolutely unbelievable. But when you're talking about a 20-year career, six Super Bowl rings, everything that Tom Brady's done, I think at this moment I have to take Tom Brady. But it's, it's pretty close, and it's a tough question, I do admit. Taylor, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll be talking to you down the road once we get closer to, hopefully, we get NFL in our lives. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, man. It was a blast. I appreciate you joining the show. Taylor Jenkins, part of the Pewter Report. You can follow him on Twitter at T Jenkins Tampa. It is just that simple. Appreciate Taylor Jenkins coming on the program. When we come back, we'll wrap up our look around the NFC South. And when we come back, we'll talk to Canal Street Chronicles own Ross Jackson, also part of the Locked on Saints podcast. Cannot wait to talk to him about everything that's going on in free agency. Sean Payton. And who knows what else we'll get into. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Live, as always, from the 1037 The Game studios. And right now, we're going to continue our talk about the NFC South. And, of course, we got to get over to the great city of New Orleans, Louisiana, to talk about the Houdat Nation, New Orleans Saints, and a whole lot more. And to do that, of course, we got to go to the game hotline, and we'll do so with our guy Ross Jackson, part of the Locked On Saints podcast, and also Canal Street Chronicles. It's weird not saying all Saints considered, but Ross, what is going on, brother? <laughs> hey, man, I'm doing great, brother. Thank you so much for having me back. Always a pleasure to be here with you, man. Hope you're doing well. I am doing fantastic on the Saturday afternoon. Staying safe, after all, you know, when, when you're the producer of the afternoon programming, you, you do the weekend show, you're pretty much the only person that's really allowed inside the studios. So trust me, <laughs> right. I, you know, they, they always, they have those memes out there on Facebook and Twitter and whatnot about being essential. I'm one of those cats. So yeah. There you go. <laughs> and you get, it's all the social distancing is already built in for you. It sounds like too, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing it my whole life, Ross, so I'm more than used to the social distancing. <laughs> like, this is just how I live my life, man. <laughs> exactly. This is how we live our life. And, you know, like when I had you on a few weeks ago, it was probably one of the weirdest interviews of all time just because of how much was changing. It was an ever-changing, like, environment. So looking back at that, I had you on. Uh, we pre-taped that on March 11th, and this was right as Rudy Gobert was diagnosed with COVID-19. And the next thing you know, you see that the NBA season was suspended. The NCAA tournament eventually canceled and everything that's happened. But, like, the question I've been kind of banting about is, if Rudy Gobert did not contract COVID-19, would we still have the NCAA tournament going on without fans? Yeah, I kind of wonder that uh, that as well because it was really that particular moment that really set off all of the ripple effects and all the events that followed in terms of canceling everything as opposed to just going fanless. So 
So, I mean, I'd be willing to to bet that if if it wasn't that in, that issue in particular or that event in particular, that we may be looking at a different outcome in terms of how everything would have sort of what the fallout, quote unquote, would have been uh, in that realm versus what we actually ended up seeing with what happened with Gobert and uh, Donovan Mitchell. It would have been very, very interesting to see what happens there. And then now we, of course, a couple of weeks ago, you want to find out Sean Payton contracted COVID-19. He tested positive mm-hmm. for it. Thankfully, it was relatively minor, so he was able to kind of go through it and just quarantine himself. But you got to imagine that was probably an eye-opening experience for a lot of people to to put a name to a face of something like the New Orleans Saints, where you have that guy. Now he's down with COVID nineteen. It really makes it seem a little bit more real. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were a lot of people who were talking about and asking the question, like, does anyone actually know anyone that's personally dealing with this or that personally has contracted it? And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, yeah, no, now everybody does. <laughs> everybody does because Sean Payton, you know, even even for people that haven't met him, you know, people that are Saints fans, part of the Houdat Nation from all around the world, like, people know who Sean Payton is. It was, you know, it, you, you see those big figures that are getting it, but this was a local figure all of a sudden that had come out and said, no, I, I have this. And he specifically came forward to talk about it because he wanted to make sure that people understood the, the exactly how severe this was and how important it was to follow the, the guidelines and the protocols that were being set forth in terms of safety protocols and everything like that. So it was a, it, it was sort of, as you mentioned, it was eye-opening and it, it hit home for a lot of people all of a sudden. And when we had you on last time, I mean, obviously a lot of other stuff was going on, but we definitely dove deep into a little bit of free agency waters just to see what, who you thought could have been picked up in free agency by the Saints, who was going to be going, who was going to be coming back. And I think one of the bigger surprises was, without a doubt, what's going on with Emmanuel Sanders getting the, that splash free agency move and this is a team that doesn't necessarily like to do the splash moves, but when you look at it on paper, I think this may be one of the biggest moves the Saints have made in the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a team that you know usually sits back and is patient and doesn't get involved in the early wave of free agency. And I guess, in you know, to an extent, that's exactly still what happened with Emmanuel Sanders, but it wasn't to the extent of let's look back to last year and look at that free agency period where you know the early free agent signings were. Malcolm Brown and Latavius Murray, and then eventually uh, Mario Edwards Jr., and then eventually about 13 days later after uh, after free agency had begun, then was the signing of Jared Cook, which was one of the bigger signings that offseason. This season we got to the big one pretty quickly uh, for New Orleans, bringing in uh, Emmanuel Sanders. But we knew that we had a feeling that he was going to end up being a target because they were trying to get him uh, in a trade at the – trade deadline last season, but just didn't have the draft capital com- to compete with what San Francisco had to give up. And then, of course, they've, you know, Sean Payton's been a fan of Emmanuel Sanders for the past couple of years. And so being able to finally lock him down and get him in New Orleans, it's a huge, huge win for the Saints because one of the biggest things that the Saints receivers have struggled with behind Michael Thomas is creating separation, and Emmanuel Sanders is one of the best at doing it in the NFL. Emmanuel Sanders is undoubtedly one of the best. You add him with Michael Thomas, a guy who has hardly dropped a football in his career in the NFL, and then you also have Jared Cook, Alvin Kamara. Is this probably one of the like most potent offenses, not just in the NFC, but the entire league? I think so, and I think one of the things that actually helps it is one of the signings that not a lot of people are, were very happy with, but you know, to, to jump to the offensive line and talk about Andrews Pete being resigned, 
maybe bringing back Andrew Speed wasn't the thing that made people happiest, but certainly it's one of the offensive lines that's been able to come back and is one of the best offensive lines, uh, top offensive lines over the past few years, to be able to come back and continue its continuity and their chemistry with their quarterback. And so I think that that helps as well as having all these weapons because what we've seen with Drew Brees over the past couple of years is essentially having, you know, particularly last year, three options in Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, and Jared Cook. Now all of a sudden you're opening it up a little bit more. You have the fourth option. You know, I went back and I watched some of the 2011 games recently, the 2009 games, including the Super Bowl, and you saw Drew Brees have four or five targets on the field at any given time between three wide receivers, Jeremy Shockey, and then having uh, Reggie Bush and Pierre Thomas out of the backfield. And so having all of those options was huge for New Orleans and what they were able to do. And, you know, if they can get back to that, just in terms of the sheer number of targets and potential options for Drew Brees, that's going to be really big in terms of maintaining a top offense going into 2020. Talk right now with Ross Jackson, part of the Locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. And, you know, I think obviously we need to kind of get to another big thing that everybody's been talking about, and that is without a doubt, what is going on with the NFC South as a whole? That's why this is kind of becoming an NFC South bonanza of a show, largely because of the fact that you look up and down that entire thing, what's going on with the NFC South. This feels like probably the toughest division that the Saints have had to be in in a long time. Yeah, we've consistently talked about the NFC South being one of the better divisions in the NFL just simply because you kind of never know who's going to come out on top, right? And now all of a sudden you've seen a couple of teams between the Panthers and the Saints fall on top three years in a row on separate occasions. But now you have so much going on in this division. You've got four very good quarterbacks leading their teams, their respective teams, and you've got uh, teams that continue to get built around, and you know you've got these superstar names all of a sudden showing up in the NFC South as well, with you know uh, with Tom Brady of course showing up in Tampa Bay, Todd Gurley in Atlanta. I guess you could say I guess you could say Robbie Anderson in Carolina, but really you know Teddy Bridgewater was a huge ad for them there, and so just all of these teams loading up, particularly on the offensive side, has been really exciting to see, and I think it's going to bring a lot of fun to this 2020 season. I love the fact that we're going to get to watch Brady and Breeze twice, at least twice uh, in the year, and potentially a third time considering that they voted to expand the playoff field this year. So now an additional team in each conference makes it to the playoffs. So we'll see if they actually have an opportunity to meet for a third time as divisional rivals and to meet again in the playoffs. And so it's really, really exciting. And I love seeing the competition in particular, but I think that a lot of those teams still have a lot, which separates the Saints from the other three teams in their division right now is uh, is defense. Honestly, I think particularly in the secondary, the Saints have the clear front-running secondary within the division so far, and so there's a lot of of sort of cleanup that has to be done with those other teams before they're able to really come out and hang with the Saints. But the Saints defense also needs to make sure that it stays on top and is able to communicate and do what it needs to do to limit those passing attacks in particular. And I have to agree with you. It's definitely going to be the biggest key of defense. But you brought up Brady and Breeze. Should one or both of those games be primetime television? Oh, yes, absolutely. And, I mean, I, I look at it as probably the game in Tampa Bay would likely be the one to be primetime. But certainly one of those games deserves to be primetime. And, and honestly, I think that they both deserve national, uh, some type of a, a national slot. So even if it's you know the later afternoon game, or anything like that, but, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I would. What actually, what I would love to see is the Saints and Bucks open the season again, 
uh, and whether that be the game in the Superdome and then save the primetime game for one at, at Ray J or something like that. But I would love to see one of those in primetime for sure and the other in some national slot. Personally, I'm always going to say to go with the game at the Superdome rather than the one in Raymond James Stadium. That one belongs somewhere between Fox on at 12 o'clock and Jefferson Pilot, in all honesty. We need, we need to be as – I'm sorry – I'm sorry, Ross. Tampa Bay is, without a doubt, probably one of the worst towns I've ever been in. I got to tell you, I, I completely agree. I think it <laughs> should be the one at, at the Superdome because, you know, no matter what, if you are if you have a primetime game at the Superdome, it's a playoff environment. And then you add Brady Breeze on top of that. But it just seems it seems like it would be something that the NFL would end up doing to where they would go with Tom Brady at home or at his new home as opposed to going with the playoff environment that the Superdome would bring. As long as they don't do anything at Tropicana Field, I'm more than okay because that that is an absolute. <laughs> I, I wish I could say what I want to say about that place, but it is a dump. <laughs> Sorry, right. I think it's coming through for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But I'm um, uh, Ross. You know, we just looking at everything going on in the NFL. Like, how weird is it going to be with the NFL draft, where you're not going to be able to hear the fans booing Roger Goodell? We talked about it a while back. It's like potentially games with no fans. Now we're going to have a situation where there's no booing of Roger Goodell every time he gets ready to mention the Cincinnati Bengals select, the New York Jets select. There's no booing. It's going to be weird. Yeah, that is probably the thing I'm going to end up missing. Uh, one of the things I'm going to end up missing the most from the entertainment perspective is going to be the booing of Roger Goodell. Just the longstanding tradition that it's become. But certainly, I mean, it, it's going to be very, very different. And I mean, you know, they're trying to figure out now exactly what, I mean, you know, using utilizing technology, kind of probably going to a more studio coverage of the draft as these picks roll in. But it'll be very interesting. And, and you know, the, the thing that I find most interesting about the changes to this draft is actually the, the way that it's affecting the pre draft process because prospects aren't able to go to clubs or to organizations clubs or anything like that and organizations can't travel to players so doing a lot of FaceTime meetings a lot of uh, video pro day type uh, replacement training videos and things like that and so it's a really interesting thing to watch because you know I I think that what this is going to end up doing is pushing a lot of teams to make safer picks in terms of how they feel about their prospects as opposed to every now and then taking a risk or taking a shot on a player that they just simply believe in. I'm wondering if this is going to be a draft full of a bunch of kind of safe picks where teams feel the, the most uh, sort of secure in taking a prospect that they feel that they know the best, despite how odd this process is becoming. All right. After much of the Saints free agency has been re-signing guys, obviously the Emmanuel Sanders signing was the big highlight. But my question to you is, Ross, now that kind of the dust has settled a little bit, who do the Saints get at 24? That's a tough one, man, because there's, there's still some needs on the team. I can still see them looking for a third wide receiver. So, you know, I immediately jump to a name like Justin Jefferson, of course, because he's somebody that can play in the slot and that can play outside and that has done a little bit of everything but has been very effective from the inside. Then all of a sudden you have three pieces that could do that. But then if the Saints instead want to go somewhere it's where they pick up somebody that is more of a viable receiver on the outside. And you can look at guys like Denzel Mims, for instance, maybe even Brandon Ayuk at a later round. But outside of wide receiver, which I think is a a popular pick for the Saints at 24, I look at guys like Kenneth Murray and Patrick Queen that can come in and be immediate impact defenders and, again, continue to build around a defense that can still separate them from the rest of the NFC South. So I look at linebacker, I look at corner. They're obviously going to go best player available. That's always been their M.O., 
going into the draft. But if they walk away with somebody like a Kenneth Murray or a Patrick Queen, I'd be ecstatic coming out of round one. All right, let's go lighter side here real quick because you talked about earlier the playoff expansion, and one of the more interesting parts of this is the fact that there's not only is going to be one extra wild card game, there's going to be one game that's going to be simulcast on, of all places, <laughs> Nickelodeon. So yes. hypothetically, and you can have as much fun as this with you as you want, who would be your like commentary dream team on Nickelodeon? I, I want you to have fun with this. Oh, you know, it's so funny. I, I, I was actually thinking about this earlier, and, you know, I tried to think about things like, you know, if they went the animated side and they brought in like a uh, like a um, like a Phil and Lil or even, you know, from Rugrats, or, <laughs> you know, or like a uh, uh, an Arnold and Gerald from Hey Arnold, and I was really thinking about all these, but you know what I would really honestly love to see, and I, I, I kind of went back and forth with Kat Terrell about this on Twitter earlier, is Keenan and Kel. That's really, really, really what I would love to see. And it's a reunion thing is the only thing. So it really would be, it wouldn't really be for the younger audience. But for me, if I'm wanting to go for something personally, I'd really be all about seeing a little Keenan and Kel reunion um, as, as commentators for this game. And I need some slime. I need slime somewhere. Yes, I don't lo- loser gets slime. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like that has to be involved somewhere. It has to be involved somewhere, Ross. And, you know, you brought up Keenan and Kel. It's something I just did not even really think about but i think we can all agree that if we're gonna have like a rules analyst we need to have mo from guts make a comeback <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yes <laughs> ross thank you so oh my goodness. ross thank you so much for coming on my man enjoy yourself during this kind of like quarantining like, like we mentioned before we're experts at social distancing i'm sure we could win in this year's x games i'm sure they've got extreme social distancing on tap for their contest this year. But, Ross, thanks again, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Absolutely, my brother. You take care. Talk to you soon. All right, that was Ross Jackson, All Saints Consider. Whoops, excuse me, Canal Street Chronicles. I went through the whole interview without saying it. Canal Street Chronicles and Locked On Saints Podcast. We'll be back after this to wrap up the show on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Just before we close up shop here on 103.7 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be the one that he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. And my last take is more of a personal one, because I've been seeing a lot of people getting laid off, not just in the oil and gas, but all industries, to be honest with you. We see... United laying off several people, Sports Illustrated furloughing tons of people, Intercom doing the same, even somewhere up the road. We're seeing a lot of people get let go and moving on to the next phase of their careers or moving forward in a whole different direction in their lives. So it makes me kind of want to say, you know, hard times don't last and we'll get through these hard time blues to everybody who's been kind of dealing with any kind of bad in their life lately, you know, because honestly, we see, you know, Jordy brought up the other day, there's a station, gas station in New Orleans, 87 cents to the gallon. Those numbers haven't been seen in a long time, and it's great for the consumer, but not so great for this kind of state that relies a lot on the oil and gas industry to kind of succeed. So, again, you know, to, to kind of steal a phrase from Dustin Rhodes, baby, 
the hard time blues aren't, aren't going to be long, daddy. And when this whole thing's all said and done, we're going to be living good in the neighborhood. And hopefully you had a great time listening to the program, baby. It's Dusty Rose, the late, great Dusty Rose, second most recognizable athlete of the day, second only to Muhammad Ali. That was a bad Dusty Rose impression. But if you will, the hard time blues only last for so long. So enjoy yourself on this Saturday night, Saturday afternoon, and have a great weekend. We got Astros baseball, a special rear of Garrico, baby. His 18 strikeout performance. We'll play that for you in just a little bit. Peace. Hey, Clavis, wake up. The show's over. Oh, yeah. Kick it.